You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. My 100th show featuring my very first guest. As composer Peter Allen would say, everything old is new again. Hi everyone, I'm your host Sean Chandler and you're listening to Your Program Is Your Ticket. A discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. Multi-award winning composer of musical theater, concert music and film scores and my musical writing partner, as well as one of my besties, Leo Schwartz, is back to celebrate our 100th show. Earlier fans of the podcast may remember that Leo was my very first guest back in 2017. And I thought it would be great to bookend that and have him back for my century-ish, if you will, show. Keep in mind that our interviews are recorded at different times to optimize schedules, just in case the audio sounds different here and there. I'm super excited to have Leo as my guest, so let's bring him on. Hi, Leo, and welcome to your program as your ticket. Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm good. I should say welcome back because you were my very, very first guest on my very, very first show, and now I'm on my hundredth show, oh my and I've got you back. It's like bookends or something. It feels like it was only like 29 ago. <laughs> really? <laughs> Is it really been a hundred? Yes. You look I look good for a hundred episodes. <laughs> I think it was like it was like four years ago, two thousand seventeen, that I started the podcast. And I'm like, who's gonna be my very, very, very first guest? And I immediately thought of you. Oh, I was so excited. That was great. Yeah. Was, yeah. It was super fun. And and look at everything that's transpired in between uh between then and now. We've written uh two musicals together. Yeah. And and um just there's been a pandemic. I mean, and we got rid of a president very successfully. Then I, you know, I, I have to say, you know, Leo and I wrote a, a musical together. It's a song cycle called we, the people. He was a composer. I was the book writer. And um, I like to say that we had something to do with it. Remember one of the reviewers said we weren't nasty enough. Oh yeah. yeah. I yeah. We, and, Go ahead, please. And, and then, and then like, you and I just were appalled at what happened so quickly after the, after the after the inauguration. And I remember having a conversation where you went, "We could not have guessed how bad this was going to be. We we couldn't we couldn't have written it on paper." Nobody, Are you talking about the insurrection? Oh, all of it. Nobody would have believed us. Oh, Nobody, you know. Uh. I know. We got we got reviews that we weren't hard enough on him. We got reviews that we weren't. Um, uh, that we weren't funny enough. Somebody was expecting an SNL sketch. We got reviews about cultural appropriation before it became, well, in, in the, in the beginning of right. the movement for that. And uh, we, I, but we knew. We got some great in. reviews too. Though. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just to be clear about that. I mean, we did get some great reviews, but it's sort of like, we could have done a whole riff on, on Pampers on the golf course um, is adult diapers um, if only I could stomach the research. Pampers <laughs> <laughs> right. is hard to rhyme with. And I think it's a term that I can't use because it's copyrighted. Ah, oh, okay. Well, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. We got, I got some, I personally got, and, and you got, I, for me, I'm just speaking for me. I got some of the best reviews ever in my career for that, for that piece. If they were good, they were special. Sparkling good, and and I would say the vast majority of them were great. So yes, he got a hole in one while his hole was running, <laughs> or something like that. I got to work on it. 
the composing end of the pencil has the eraser on it, Sean. Oh, tr- trust me. So does the book end. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, we, we uh, make a great team and I'm so happy that you're my musical writing partner and uh, we've become tight. We've become sisters. Uh, yes. One of my besties for sure. And Absolutely. so this is, this is really, really cool. Anyways, you buy me food. <laughs> you buy me food. You do. It's you buy me food to, too. Well, I, but I mean, it's hard for us to go out to have a meal without you just like grabbing the check. And I, and I don't want any moochers out there to take advantage of you to think that you're just sort of have this grand largesse, but it's sort of, but you know that the way to this composer's heart is through food. <laughs> no hashtag same. <laughs> For as the kids say, hashtags, or they said five years ago, hashtag. I can't, I can't keep up. <laughs> I had a student, uh, one of the, you know, one of the things um, that I do on the side while I'm trying to become gainfully employed as a composer is I teach real estate licensing at the Chicago Association of Realtors. And, and one of my former students, I was giving him some advice one day. And he texted me, he says, Leo, you're the goat. I went, I'm a goat. What do you mean I'm a goat? Well, it's sort of like greatest of all time. I had no idea that that's what that stood for. Greatest of all time. That's to me. I mean, it's, it's a very lovely compliment and I, <laughs> I agree, but it's, it's a bit of a, huh? It's charming to be called a goat. You try it sometime. <laughs> All you need to put is old, you old goat. That's that's definitely a conversation haver. What? What are you talking about? Yeah, the kids have their own. The kids. Oh, I am an old goat. The kids have their own lingo. FOMO was another one that just came up last night. FOMO, fear of missing out. Did you? Uh-huh. You know that? See, you don't know these things. Where, are you are you like stuck away in some apartment in New York City in Manhattan on the West on the Hell's Kitchen? Are you just like are you in touch with anything? Welcome to the last fifteen months of my life. <laughs> just, like, come out of your closet, Anne. <laughs> right. God. Quit writing. <laughs> so, well, I, I wish it was all writing. If it was, my, uh, I'd be zooming a lot faster along with all my projects. But, you know, <laughs> writing is something that takes at times, and I try to tell people this, uh, it takes – sometimes you can't write to write. Like you you have to put something away for 24, 48 yeah. hours, sometimes yeah. a week, because you, you just need to figure out the problem. You need to fix it or whatever it is or come up with a new idea. So I always say, if I'm not writing physically a good deal of the time, I'm think writing. Yep. I call putting it on the back burner. You know, like when you're cooking, you're cooking a big meal, there's always something that's got to go on the back burner to simmer. Right. So it's sort of like, and that's part of my process, and I've learned to trust that. Because I, I, I always used to tell myself, well, you don't know what you're doing. That's why you can't figure out the answer. It's like, no, I just need my subconscious to do the work for me. So I'll put it in the back burner. And it, I come back to it, and it always works out. Oh yeah, I mean, there's like some ethereal reason that that I can't explain that ideas come into my head and characters come into my head, and there's a reason why somewhere out there in the universe that that occurs, and um, it's it needs to be trusted that I think you were selected to to do this by something, by some sort of power. 
Um, you know, it's the same thing if somebody's like an athlete or something. It's right. something is coming from whatever from their brain to make it happen. And and you're right. That is a very, very smart thing to trust. Which is why it's so important not to be overly medicated. Yeah. Because it kills those things. Vonnegut said that one of the best things that a writer could do is get a dog. Hmm. Because you have to take the dog for walks. And some of his best ideas came when you're not focusing, right? You're mm-hmm. in the shower, you're on the crapper, you're on the whatever. Is that my bougie potty talk? I almost made you spit your coffee. I was nice. I, I took a, I, I, I took a, I, I took an upscale. I said crapper. <laughs> I could have said something much more base. You you can. I mean, we do have a, an explicit uh, rate uh, ranking. So ooh, exciting. So say um, shitter if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's it's really. Um, I will I will just get up from what I'm doing and, and go walk, clean, walk, go go to the grocery store, whatever. And and you're right, we just keep thinking, right? We're always we're always thinking. Something's oh. always going on in the head. Absolutely. Mine is a lot more sedentary where I'll probably just lay around in bed and watch T V. I watch cartoons and YouTube and stuff. On your fainting couch. <laughs> oh my god. No oh, oh no. A bed, but uh, my husband David. I only say my husband for the audience because you know him. David, he doesn't yes. have a stomach. Is <laughs> <laughs> it funny like joke? joke? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not that I. You know, I stay in bed a lot, and it didn't get any easier when, for our anniversary and our birth birthdays and all this stuff, he bought Tempur-Pedic beds two like twin beds that combine to form a king bed where they raise and lower, which has increased my bedtime for like, oh, no. by like three or four. I'm like, you know what? You're never going to get me out you're, of this. You're going to get out of it. Right. Yeah. No. And, and you know, that holds true like a double because sometimes I can't get out of it because it's, it's like a hospital. Bed. I, I know. I was about to say, it's like, it's a preview of coming attractions. Does he I like, know. Play with the controls and turn you into an accordion or something like that. Yeah. Like a squeeze box. Yeah. We're definitely ready for my 60s. Oh, um, hey, 63 here. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely ready to be old. The old goat, 63. <laughs> Thank you very much. I was ready for a comma bitch there. Yeah, 60, uh, 60, uh, 60 is the new 40, so says every 60-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. (laughs) 60 is the new 40, so says every 40-year-old still says, stay away from me. (laughs) But I want your essence. I need your essence. (laughs) That's hilarious. Okay. Let's let's talk. Do you have an intro to do? Have you done the intro yet? No, no. I I do my intro and post so I can take a good deal of these wonderful little trinkets of of sound bites and I could use them so I could like, you know, highlight you and, and that. So this is what you don't want to be as a writer. (laughs) (laughs) You stop that. And I, I think that you're a dynamite writer. I have always thought that, but let's have you tell us about what an awesome writer you are and the prolific career that you've had. I mean, uh, talk about your career in in detail. Where did it start? Um, ha, ha, what what inspired you besides that ethereal force that goes in your brain to 
to do the various phases of your career. Leo, tell us about you. Tell us about, talk about me. Um, Well, let's, let's, you know, um, I was a horn player. Uh, I went to the Eastman School of Music where I studied uh, French horn uh, and, uh, and I did everything. My finger was in everything at Eastman. I was playing the horn. I was conducting. I was uh, doing a little writing. Um, And uh, uh, when I graduated from Eastman, um, I, uh, I missed the auditions for grad school. So, I ended up moving to Houston where my brothers live because I was feeling, I mean, I had a music degree and that in 225 got me on the bus, which tells me how valuable my music degree was. (laughs) And uh, so I moved to Houston to be around my brothers so they could support me. And, and I started freelancing and I ended up going out on the road with Evita for a year and a half, the bus and truck tour with Flo Lacey as the Ava. Uh, Amazing. Uh, an amazing band. It was one of the best musical, um, one of the best musical experiences of my life playing that show. I played over a hundred performances, 800, excuse me, 850 performances of Evita. I was telling a, a horn player here in town uh, the other day that uh, when I got off the road, I, I won an audition with the Houston Ballet Orchestra and uh, our very first, our very first, uh, a ballet that we were doing with Swan Lake. And of course, horns and horns and Tchaikovsky and, and, and ballet usually do a lot of pop, pop and pop, pop. And I couldn't do that. I, I, you know, I was, I was playing a Vita with the book closed. I didn't have to look at the music at all. I just knew, I mean, because that's, that's not a, an unusual thing, no. but I just was, my, my muscles were so stuck on, on the Casa Rosada. I couldn't get them to, you know, dance around with the, with the swans. But, um, so I played professionally for a number of years. Um, and then, um, and I'll just be really blunt with you, anxiety attacks and, and rampant alcoholism took its toll. And, uh, cause I was a bit of a drinker. I have 30, I'm sober 32 years. All right. So that's, that's something that uh, I can share. And, um, uh, I, uh, went into, uh, I wanted a real job that was going to give me some real money. So I went into arts management, arts fundraising and arts uh, ticket sales. And I worked as an outside vendor uh, for a number of places. I worked for, my first client was the Alabama Symphony Orchestra. Then I came to Chicago, which I'd come to with Evita and I fell in love with. We played here for two weeks over at the Erie Crown, the mistake by the lake, as we call it here. It's a horrible theater. It's a big barn. Um, and, uh, um, I wanted to move to Chicago. I always wanted to live here after having visited it. So when they gave me the opportunity to come to Chicago and work at the Museum of Science and Industry and run a campaign there, I said yes. And then they offered me the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, which I was at for eight years. It was absolute bliss. I loved it. I raised a whole bunch of money while at the CSO. Uh, and then they had a new management move in, and, of course, the new broom sweeps clean, and he couldn't fire me because I was a vendor, and but he, he certainly gave me that that cold shoulder corporate jerk attitude, Uh which was really uncomfortable. And I said, well, my days here are numbered, so I might as well find a new job. So I went on staff at the Field Museum and started raising $60 million uh, in a capital campaign. So um, what does this have to do with music? Well, I missed my music. I thought I could give up music. 
I really thought I could give up music. And and right, no, you're shaking your head. No, you can't no. do it. it. It was ingrained in me at an early age. The very first piece of classical music I ever heard was Beethoven's Third Symphony. I bought it in a record store because I liked the cover, the album cover. I thought it was pretty, and I knew that Beethoven was somebody big. Didn't know anything about it. And for any musicians in the in the audience, they may understand this, but um, I put that record player on my my easy bake oven record player runs by a light bulb and um i i put that record on and the, the symphony starts out with three declamatory two declamatory e flat chords um which are just was just like electricity running through me and then it immediately transfers keys it changes keys by a d flat which is the which is the the, the uh, uh, sends it into the uh, uh, next key. Sing um, it for us. Hum it for us. Is the seventh? Huh? Hum it for us. Just bump, bump, da 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 da. Here comes the D flat. Da da, and we change key. And when I got to that D flat, I thought, Oh, I got to do this. And I'm all of like seven years old. This has got to be my life. So I picked up the French horn. Um, but so I missed the French horn. I missed music. And I thought, well, I should become a composer. It's just sort of like, I think I'll go to Klein college, like that episode of the Simpsons. I should become a composer. And what, am, what are you going to compose? It's like, well, I think I'll compose musical theater because I like musicals. So I joined a workshop that was running here that was based on the, uh, uh, one of the workshops um, I'm blanking on the name right now in, uh, in New York. It was called new tuners. Um, and they had a two-year program that you ran through where you uh, did exercises and things like that. I mean, I was writing a ballad for Willie Loman. That was exciting. Um, and uh, a ballad for a, a, and a, and a charm song for uh, When the Moon is Blue and some other things. Odd choices. And um, Leo, can you tell us what a charm song is? A charm song is it, it's an old designation, though it's still pretty apt. Um, a charm song is a uh, is a song that is charming. Um, it's sort of light. It's area. An, an example of a chart charm song would be, uh, and they sometimes uh, roll over into comedy songs. But um, uh, everything's up to date in Kansas City is kind of a, a charm song. You know, yeah. I went to Kansas City on a Friday. By Saturday, I learned a thing or two. Isn't that charming? Delightful. Skyscraper, seven stories tall, or something like that. I'm horrible at remembering lyrics, particularly other people's lyrics. <laughs> uh, just, I just am. And um, uh, so I started writing, um, and I hooked up with the collaborator. Yes, I had collaborators before you, Sean. I hate to tell you this. I, was, I was not a virgin when I came to you. And um, you, you may only work with DC Cathro, aside from me. <laughs> And and uh, Judy Judy Freed I'll dr- I'll drop her name because um, she's not doing too much of the business. Um, Judy Freed came to me one day and said, "Would you like to write a musical about the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre?" And I just kind of looked at her and went, "Okay." <laughs> um, and she said, "Well, there's this little known fact about the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre that one of the people that was killed in it was an optometrist named Get ready for this name. His name was Reinhard Schwimmer." And I went. Oh my God, I am so on this. An optometrist named Reinhard Schwimmer, who was a gangster wannabe, 
a, oh my God, I'm so on this. Fun. So we started writing a show originally called Me and Al. <laughs> As one of the one of the local actors said said on stage once, he goes, "I was the first me." <laughs> In me and Al, it, we, we eventually changed the name because people are going, "Who's who's me? Who's Al?" Um, we changed it, "Me and Al," or "How I Died in the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre." Um, it was it was my great com- it was it was a great combination for me of humor and darkness, uh, which is really what I thrive on. You know, people think musicals and they think, "Oh, it's all this light singing and dancing and and kicking and you know." I could be in the Follies. I could be in the Cabaret. Whee! Um, and uh, it's not. N- not for me, at least. I, I really tie into darker subject matters so and making them light. And, and uh, so we wrote this show. We had a, a black box production of it here, and we entered it into this uh, uh, festival that was – that was running back then. It was called the Sony, Sony's Sony, like a Bono. The Sony, that's what that company's name is, right? Sony, yeah. The yeah. Sony search for new, global search for new musicals. Sony, uh, Sony Audio, Sony Music, whatever. Um, we entered it, and the the prizes were nine, uh, nine musicals were chosen for 45-minute presentations in Cardiff, Wales, mm. of all places. Now, um, this came about when I was, uh, I had been working at the Field Museum um, and raising $60 million. I raised $21 million in nine months and said, I cannot deal with this anymore. I can't deal with corporate fundraising anymore. So this is crazy. So I, uh, um, I left the Field Museum and eventually, and, and eventually got my sanity back. Um, and I started in real estate because I thought I need to go to a job that I can have, I can make some money, but I can also have sort of my own time. All right. Helpful. Because I, 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 a nine to five job, seven to seven a.m. to seven p.m. jobs, I lose my shit. I just really, really do. So I had two of them. Neither of them worked out well for me. So I, uh, 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 I was, I was in Cardiff. We got to work with some performers from the uh, uh, West End, which was really nice. Um, they brought them in, um, and there was a nice presentation. And um, the show has its issues, and 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 I, I I still believe in the show. It just needs to be reworked. Um, I'm just waiting to do it. But um, on the plane home, I was sitting there thinking, you know what, Leo? If you're really going to be a composer, you need to create a catalog. And um, so I came home. And I had my own boutique real estate company at that time. And I shut down the real estate company. I sent my agents away. And I started working out of the back of my house just as myself and, and started writing like crazy. Started writing like crazy. Um, and uh, I think, oh, I can't do that. Oh, yes. No, I can't. Um, and I, because uh, uh, I was going to look at the list that I have. I have a list of it somewhere. It's on my computer. I should have, I should have pulled it up for the interview. I have it here. If oh, you, oh, you do of all the musicals and all the stuff I've written. Yeah, you posted it on Facebook. If anybody wants to know, it's on it's on Leo's Facebook page. Yeah, it is. And I um, I wrote that list because um, I was approached by a management firm out in L.A. Uh, just before COVID that they wanted to represent me and help ah. my career. And which was like really exciting. 
Very cool. Uh, and then COVID totally shut them down, which was really kind of depressing. That's but awesome. their uh, marketing department said, we want a list of everything you've ever written. Now, I, I write musical theater. I've done film scores and videos and, and web series. And I also write concert music. So I write all this music and have written a ton of music. It, what, I didn't realize the extent of my writing until I had to make the list of all of these things. You know, and then it just kind of blew me away. Something like 12 to 14 musicals. Um, I, I've written a bunch of clarinet music because I'm the composer in residence for the Chicago Clarinet Ensemble. God bless Rose Barraza over at Northeastern Illinois University. She's the Dr. Sparaza. She's a good friend and um, she's my, she's my Esther Hazy for the classical musicians. You know who that is. She's my mentor. She kind of my patron, my patron saint who gets me, gets me writing for clarinet. Um, and, um, so me and Al was, uh, fairly successful. It also had, we also got it into the York theater in a, in a, a reading presentation at the York in Manhattan, uh, which was really fun. Um, my, fr- my friend, uh, Fred, uh, Fred, Freddie Hansen, who was an associate producer of Les Mis on Broadway was the director for it. And, um, so I wrote that. I wrote a, a couple of other things. Um, uh, my next show, which, um, <laughs> is called Naughty. Um, yeah, and, and there, there, there's a couple of, there's a couple of other shows that have sort of come along with the same idea. I think one of them is called What's That Smell or something like that. But, um, the idea behind Naughty was that there was this, uh, the most prolific musical theater composer in the world was also the most outrageous one because he had no, he had no frontal lobe. He has no, uh, he has no, uh, uh, boundaries on what, boundaries that he will cross. So um, uh, it, it's a, a presentation of, of excerpts of his, of his musicals. Um, and some of them are, are very un-PC. Uh, some of them would not, would not pass the muster test now with the uh, Justice, Justice League Warriors. Um, but uh, for instance, um, my favorite one, though, um, was the, uh, uh, the musical, the Helen Keller musical, Oh, Helen. Um, and, uh, uh, are you serious? I'm serious. I'm absolutely serious. And, the, and the big, the big, the big number from that show is her want song, which is called who turned out the lights. Uh, <laughs> it, can I say this or are we going to get in trouble? Uh, no, you're fine. It's, goes, fun. it's hey, funny. What? What's it's funny? funny. I'm sorry. I'm laughing. It is funny. It's, it's uncomfortable. Funny. And the, and the song goes, Hey, who turned out the lights? Who moved the furniture around? What was that? Was that a sound? I don't know. I've never heard one before. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> that would so not fly today. No, not at all. It would not. No way. But there's yeah. some really good music in it. Like the Little My Baby is a great, a great song for uh, the Manhattan Transfer to sing. Very tight jazz harmonies. Very distasteful stuff. Um, it, be, it won director's choice at the New York Musical Theater Festival. <laughs> I was shocked and appalled, <laughs> which gave us <laughs> which gave us a reading there, which, again, I wrote Fred Hansen into directing. Frank Vlasnik, you may know Frank. We actually got, he had, he had been snail in, uh, uh, or he had been snail in Frog, Frog and Toad. On Broadway, John uh, Fred got uh, Frank in to play one of the characters 
um, and we had uh, a couple of other people, I think, um, and um, two two readings of it, two staged readings of it, the equity stage reading. And um, <laughs> my friend, uh, Michael, the lighting designer, I can't remember Michael's last name. He just passed away, unfortunately. Mm. Um, he was standing outside after one of the performances and he said, Leo, I just have to let you know that these, these three people came out of the reading and one of them said, that is the worst show I've ever seen. <laughs> I thought, great, we made an impression. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There's a, one, of the, one, of the, one of the more memorable songs from that show is the tale of Peter Rabbit um, uh, as told from a socialist perspective. Of of uh, you know making sure you know of the proletariat's taking over, and the song from that is based on George Carlin's seven words you cannot say. You know, um, can yeah, I say I them on your show? Sure. Uh, shit, fuck, piss, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, tits. Ooh, and that's it's a really catchy little refrain that that the rabbits sing as they're going around working in the gardens. <laughs> <laughs> It's very silly. It's a very <laughs> silly show, and it, it it would not run today. It, we could not run this today. It just, it, in fact, we probably shouldn't have run it back then. Um, I did bring it back to Chicago, and that was the first time I ever self-produced. Um, it was it was kind of a mess. Um, in fact, it was a big mess. God bless my um, God bless my director Shifra Shifra Wirch, who. Um, has the patience of a saint um, as she put up with all the shenanigans that were going on. Um, we got one reviewer in who was, who was totally rancid against it and which is fine. Um, and I also learned that when you, when you produce, you lose money, which was really lots, which was not a really fun thing to do since it was my money that I lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, um, that's, that's the story of naughty. And, and I, I move on from there. Uh, what are the shows have I written? Oh, yes, the show that I think brought us together. The first time you ever saw anything. I forgot about that. Um, I was looking for a show to write. And um, I had a friend named John Phillips who was an absolute dear. He's since passed away. Yeah. And John was an amazing raconteur. He was the person who created he, – he used to work for City Hall. He was the person who created the – the mayor's office of liaison to gay and lesbians, the hmm. gay and lesbian community here. And he worked under Daddy Daly. And boy, did he have stories to tell. Did he have stories to tell about Jane Byrne? Holy smokes. But John was a great raconteur. And he used to talk about how in World War II, because he was that old, when he was a corpsman, medical corpsman in, in the uh, uh, Pacific, um, about being gay in the military in World War II. And, and yeah. you know, they weren't all closeted. It wasn't, you know, they weren't all hiding under rocks. Some of them were really quite open. And of course, John was really quite open about everything. Um, and I had wanted to do a salute to gays in the military. And I interviewed John and I interviewed my friend, John Eldridge, who has since passed away about his experiences in the Vietnam War. My favorite story about John Eldridge, um, which needs to be in a show is, he was he was put on perimeter duty on, in Vietnam out in the jungle, which means he you know he was supposed to you know, at night because his his, uh, his commanding officer didn't like him, so they made him watch the perimeter on, uh, at night, and he got really really bored. So what he did was he climbed up on top of the guard hut 
And he knew from memory all of the Judy Garland Live at the Palladium album, or it's either Live at the Palladium or Live at Carney Hall. I think it was a yeah. Palladium. He sang the whole album out loud to the jungle, which, <laughs> which probably kept the enemy away. Very crazy man. I, I didn't want to say it, but yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. John was a lunatic. John was absolutely a lunatic. That's great. Uh, and uh, then, um, uh, uh, and then my other friend uh, Stephen Dean, who was uh, worked post, uh, or worked Iraq War as a gay man, and I was I was going to do a, a gaze in the military, and I kept going back to John's transcripts because I had these these were on these things we used to have these things called cassette tapes, and I recorded him on cassette, and it's ancient history cassette tapes, right? It, it, it comes yeah. right. It comes. It comes right after cuneiform. The recording on cuneiform, the the Flintstones bird on a stone record, um, and uh, um, they uh, uh, the story was just, the stories were just man- magnificent. So I decided to write a, a, a musical based on John's experience alone, and I called it Under a Rainbow Flag, um, and. Um, I submitted it to the musical competition that Pride Films and Plays were doing. Um, and uh, uh, it was chosen. Um, and I met David Zach, who's the artistic director over there. And um, he said something which was also said to me that year by the gentleman who I wrote the film score for, which I just have sort of come to know as, as this is the story of Leo Schwartz. Uh, David and, and John Klein both said exactly the same thing to to me in my first meeting, which was, how is it that you're so good and no one knows who you are? And, and, and I looked at David and I told him, I said, that's because I don't market to Chicago. I market outside of Chicago where, where because I'm from, if I'm from Chicago, I seem exotic. But the people in Chicago... Because I can't play piano, Sean. You, you know this. I cannot play the piano to save my life. But I write so much music; it's ridiculous, right? So if if I was a comp- if somebody asked me, "Will you play me one of your songs?" My response is, "No, I can't. I'm sorry. It's not that I won't. It's I can't. I cannot even play the simplest stuff that I fucking write. I can't play. All right. So um, um, I never bothered to market myself in town, and and and. This is this may come, you know. It was it's been my experience in Chicago that that coming up here. I mean, people know who I am now, but at one point, since nobody knew who I was, they didn't pay any attention to me. So why should I bother? You know, I went I went outside. I did gay and lesbian uh, uh, choirs. I did everything outside. So I was I was practicing my craft outside of the outside of the environment of Chicago theater, um, and. And, and uh, Rainbow Flag was my first exposure to the Chicago theater community. And I won the Jefferson Award for it, right, for Best New Work. And it also won Best Production for Pride Films and Plays. It's so good. It, you so, so deserve those awards. It's, oh, thank it's, you. It's, it's, it's a beautiful show, and the music is is lush at times and and violent at times. And it's it just shows such a tremendous amount of depth and range. And it, it, it deserves all of the praise and the awards that it got and will probably get in the future. Well, I, uh, um, it's, it's a show that I plan on, when the opportunity presents itself, I plan on reviving, um, certainly. 
And uh, it is a show with a death in it, as is Naughty, as is uh, Me and Al. Um, I and I, I I don't I don't I don't seem to write shows without some sort of death in them of some sort. Um, <laughs> once goes back to my my conflict. Dark, yeah, right. It's it's it goes back to my my dark side. Um, the for those of you who want to go searching for it on YouTube, um, you can actually find clips of the production on YouTube. Um, they're out there, and amazing. Uh, I encourage you to, to watch it. And it was, it was a great production. It was really a wonderful experience for me. Um, I was finally seeing uh, some work of mine done in a full production um, and treated very respectfully, um, which I, I, I'm thankful to David Zach for. And, um, uh, and it won the Jeff, which really kind of blew me away. I did not want to go to the Jeff Awards that night. I was going to pull a Joan Crawford and stay at home in bed. Um, <laughs> and I, and I was I was ordered to go to the award ceremony, and and it was it, the, the the company was fairly new at that time, so they didn't have they they put us at a table in the back, <laughs> put it, put them in the back by the door. Rude. So, so all of us youngsters, because they're all young kids, I mean, but some really wonderful talent are just sitting back there in the back, and uh, they they called out the fact that we were that we won best new work and. And I just, I was just stunned, and the table around me just erupted. All right. It's of course, yes. Of, I think it's a cast of eight men and one woman. Right. Curie. Curie. Well, we'll be with again shortly. Um, who we worked together with on. With, oh, yeah, on running. Yeah, right. Yeah. Curie's fen- she's a, a phenom. I love Curie Anderson. Yeah, it's um, same. Yeah, she's amazing. It's so nice and. Kind of mellow and no oh, ego. Yeah. yeah, she's she's a great uh, talent. Total pro, total pro. And yes. In fact, you can see Curie perform on one of our songs from Running. Right? Isn't that is that available online? Isn't it the? Uh, um, is, it, is it? I am so there are, not no there are no rainbows. Isn't that available? Oh yeah, yes. For I'm sorry for Running. Yes, you can you can see that on the Running the Musical Facebook page. Yes. We've did uh, over the over COVID and over. from like forty different locations. We put together. There's only five characters in the show, and each one of them has a solo. And we had uh, the actors, various actors chosen, who actually sang the solo. It it turned out way better than I ever thought. It's I was like, oh it really is, and it's one of my best scores. It's a it's a score that I really really love, and um, these performers all do a fantastic job on these solos and and also the tech and the music director yes um andrew and aaron uh the two a's as i like to call it aaron benham yes just they just came up with this whole concept of how to do it and i didn't understand it so i went step by step with oh yeah no it's sort of like yeah we're going to push this button here which causes this to change it's like okay yeah yeah, right eat my chips (laughs) I'm just going to like, I'll just write checks and get people to do it. So that's, I mean, so anyways, yes, she's, she is on there uh, singing. Um, there are no rainbows, which is a song that's meant for a 19 year old character named Cassidy Shurko, who is the daughter who is um, physically challenged um, by, she has a, a, an issue with her leg and, and um, she's, she's got a lot of anger and that really comes out in, there are no rainbows. It's, it's, a, it's a great song. And by by the way, I, I want you to keep going, but I want to say 
Under a Rainbow Flag has my very, very favorite song written for you. By you, I'm sorry. Um, and you know what it is, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that was in the original. uh, No, it's a a replacement song. And I I remembered you invited David and myself to, um, to like one of the final rehearsals. And after that song came on, I think I turned around and looked at you and I was like, oh my God. I like voiced, I like, like, Lip sank. Oh my God. Cause that song is, it's gorgeous. If, I hope that's online somewhere. It's so beautiful. Well, thank you. Yeah. It was, it was, it was meant to be a pop power ballad. And I think I succeeded in that. Um, it's funny because <laughs> I learned an important lesson in rehearsals. We're going, there's a death at the end of the first act. Yeah. Um, that also, that's all I'll say. There's a death at the end of the first act. Yeah. Where one of the soldiers gets killed. Um, and being and oh oh this is something else I wanted to tell you about uh, Rainbow Flag. I wrote it all. I wrote the right. book, music, and lyrics. It's a huge wow. job. You Lin Manuel Miranda that thing. I'm serious. That was that's yeah. like. Well, I couldn't find anybody. I, I went to my usual book writers, the usual uh, suspects, and none of them connected with the material. And it was like, well, what am I going to do? I guess I'll just have to write it myself. I'm not a book writer, but I guess in some regards I am. You are. Yes, yeah. you are. So I sat down and wrote it, and at the end of the first act, I have a soldier die, and then uh, a ballad is sung. And we got into rehearsal, the stage rehearsal, and it's sort of like I just saw the truck coming all of a sudden. This I suddenly realized it's like, oh dear God, there's a body on stage, and now he's going to sing a solo over the body. What what are we supposed to do with that? And I looked at David and I said. What do we do with the body? And David said, I'll fix it. And he fixed it. And it was like, it worked really, really well. The person just lied there very still and they threw a sheet over. Yay, theater. Yeah, that is uh, a big problem. It's a, it's a huge problem. What do you do with this body? Oh, kick it off the stage. So, um, uh, so yeah, Rainbow Flag, it, it, it has some really nice stuff in it, some stuff that I absolutely love. Um, it made huge emotional impacts on the audience. That's, I turned around at, at the end of the first act at the opening night, and and there was, as I mentioned, Schiffer earlier. She ended up sitting behind me, Schiffer Wurchin, and and there were tears coming down her eyes, and and she just looked at me and she goes, "You did this," and I went, "Yay!" <laughs> right? I wanted I wanted to make people feel. You know, and that's, that's, I want to make people feel, I want you to laugh. I want you to have fun. You know, people still who saw the show still know the words to Queens. Oh yeah. Queens is a great song. (laughs) It's It's, so fun. It is fun. It's just silly. So, um, that was under a rainbow flag. And then what else, what did I go to next? What's next on the list, Sean? You got the list in front of you. Uh, well you did, um, the, the three, Shows that you did, I don't know the order necessarily, are Penn with DC Cathro, who is a great friend and a brilliant writer. Mm-hmm. Um, we the People, we did in 2017, and Book of Merman, you, you've been oh. doing a lot, but that your yeah. off-Broadway production was in 2018. Yeah. And then, of course, there's Running, which hasn't had a production yet, but will. Yeah. So Penn, Penn came next. And Penn started with a um, Penn started with a, a an article about a pen pal relation about pen pal relationships plural between uh, convicts in jail and prison 
I guess, to make a distinction, and people on the outside, and particularly gay ones. Right. And um, uh, the article, I, I, you know, showed it to DC. I said, is there, a, I, I think there's a show in this. Um, do you think there's a show in it? And he said, yeah, of course. So I said, well, start working on that book, buddy. Because <laughs> um, I had I'd gotten uh, DC and to help me with some things. This was really before you and I were working together. And um, because I started getting questions from directors and readers about things like characterization and other terms that I didn't understand as, as a non-book writer, as, non, as a non-playwright. And um, I just said, I need somebody else to do this. Plus, it's going to hold me up writing everything. It's just going to hold me up. So um, I can write much faster lyrics and music than I can working on a dialogue. So um, you are a fast songwriter. I am very much. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things I'll own. Um, I can't, sometimes I crank them out in a day, but usually it takes a little longer because I like to put them on the back burner and let them simmer. (laughs) You know, even when I think they're done, I still give them 24 to 48 hours just to see what pops up. Well, you're also very like when we work together, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of research so that you can, um, uh, sort of prioritize what needs to be said in the song, find the song. I'm not sure the terminology for it, but you really, you put a lot of thought into it. You ask your book writers uh, things that you need to know. So there's a lot of that going on before the song is written. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so you gotta, because I think you got, you got to know what that character's feeling and thinking. And, and uh, I was thinking about this this morning. I was thinking about a Sondheim lyric. And I was thinking, um, oh, yeah, it was the ladies to lunch. Because um, um, I said I should go to the gym, then to a fitting, claiming I'm fat. <laughs> and then I'll look grim because I've been sitting choosing a hat. And I thought, you know, he's such a clever writer. He's such a great writer, obviously. I mean, I'm in awe. I would love to meet him at some point. I hope, I hope I get the opportunity. But I thought, I'm not a clever lyricist. I mean, that's... Well, thank you for that that face shot. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm very functional, I'm, and I'm very much uh, uh, the thing that happens. This is my personal opinion, and people, this may get people upset. But the thing that I think happens when the cleverness of the lyric takes me out of the moment, you know, there's like one. There's this one line. Uh, this is brilliant writing. There's one line in. Um, uh, God, Into the Woods. There's one line in Into the Woods which just slays me, which I wish I had written, but I would not find a way to fit it in. As her withers, wither, wither. And it's like, what great word wordplay that is. What song is that in, in Into the Woods? Uh, there's no time to sit and dither. Um, this is the talking about Milky White and the, the mother is telling Jack. Oh, okay. Time to sit and dither while her withers, wither, wither. <laughs> and I, I sat in the theater and heard that in previews. And I just wanted to turn around and say, did, did you see, did you, did you hear what he just did? Did you hear that? You know, and I turned, you know, and, and I was sitting near, um, who was the lady who played Mother Jefferson on the, the, of the Jeffersons? Who Mother Jefferson? Isabel Sanford. Isabel Sanford. Was no, she played, she played uh, Louise Jefferson. Louise Mother Jefferson. Jefferson. Oh, Mother, Mother Jefferson. Mother, yeah. Yeah. Mother Jefferson was, um, uh, the the mother of I forget the, the uh, of the gentleman who played the lead. Yeah, what's anyway, his name? George Jefferson. George, George Jefferson's George, mother. George Jefferson's. And mother. now yeah, that we've cleared that up, please go on. Yeah, this. Thank you. 
But I, you know, like I snapped my head around to see who else was paying attention. It was like, oh, it's Isabel Sanford sitting behind me. Just like, great actor, great actor. What? What do you did? Did you hear that, Isabel? Um, so, uh, what's the point of this? Oh, so Penn, yeah. So Penn, uh, we started working on Penn, um, and which is kind of dark. It's about Penn is about a pen pal relationship, obviously, uh, between a marketing executive and a prisoner. And they fall in love with others through letters. Um, they finally meet at the end. They finally get a chance to meet at the end. It was in the Chicago Musical Theater Festival. We had a pretty good production there. I agree. Uh, Aaron was music director. Um, again, uh, one of my one of the highlights of that was um, the marketing director for the theater company uh, supposedly told the executive director, and she related to me. She said that that musical broke him. Because he was uh-huh. in tears at the end, so like, yeah, yay, happy, yeah. <laughs> I evoke emotion. I love it. I know. So, um, and Pen. The news on Pen is that I've decided to go into the studio in August and make a really good cast recording of it. Great. Um, we're not going to do any video stuff because I, I just can't. I don't. I don't know where you. I mean, the medication you must have been on, Sean, to do the video <laughs> recordings of running must have been stupendous, but I, I thought about doing that and I thought, I can't deal with that. I can't deal with it. So listen to my lineup. Let me see. You'll know some of these names. Some of them um, you may know. I have Tommy Thurston. Do you know Tommy? He does a lot with theater in Bequay here. No. Fabulous voice. Ryan Lanning. We uh, love Ryan Lanning. Yeah, he does one of the solos that are on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to say that all of the performers were outstanding in that. And he does he does a beautiful solo from one of my favorite songs in the show, which is called Butterfly. It's 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 incredible. Yeah, that's in running. If you if 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 you do anything, here it comes. Run to see running. Um, <laughs> it writes itself. It does. It writes itself. Um, and uh, and see Ryan Lanning and Curie singing these two songs. It's really phenomenal. So Ryan Lanning, uh, Curie Anderson. Yeah. Curie is going to pay the sidekick Susan. All right? Wow, cool. And Julie Summer Peterson. Remember her, Julie Summer Peterson? She was my mermaid. Yeah, buddy. she's Gosh. playing. She's she's going she's going to go off the deep end in. Uh, you will not mess up my happy fucking day. <laughs> She's great. I remember you said, if you can go see Julie in, I think she did like one performance Yeah, she did of the, of the show. It was pre-planned and I went and saw, I was like, wow, what a dynamite voice. She's got an amazing voice. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, uh, I'm kind of, she's sort of one of those actresses who I'm writing for right now. You know, when I'm thinking about stuff. Good. Uh, DC and I have um, another show that we're sort of in the hopper that we're playing back and forth about, which is about uh, loosely based on a friend who lives in New York, who I was out on the road with about her observations about living in Manhattan as a showgirl. Um, and we just sort of, we envisioned Julie as being the star of it. You know, it's a long way from envisioning somebody to actually having it happen, but we'll see. Yeah. So uh, we're going to the studio to do a great cast recording of Penn. Aaron is doing the orchestrations. Oh. Um, I've asked him to do that. And, and, of course, um, our, our good friend, Andrew Albrader, our, our, our better. Andrew Arbeter. Is Andrew a, Arbeter. He's a, yeah. like an engineer extraordinaire. This is really crazy because Aaron is in L.A. Mm-hmm. And Andrew has just moved to outside of Seattle. He What? Yes. Uh-huh. 
he just decided to move out there. He said, there's no reason I should stay in Chicago. I can do everything remotely. So he's actually going to, he's actually going to do the mixing remotely while we were in the studio at Transient Sounds down there on Byron. Yeah, I would trust him with completely with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. He's, he's the one who, who came up with this brilliant, brilliant execution of putting together a song during COVID and, and having it be flawless. Um, and if you want to know and you want to see our Andrew Arbiter, uh, talk about that, then I have a video on how we did the entire production process that I put together for that. And that is also on the, uh, running the musical Facebook page. You should check it out because there's like, I don't know about you, Leo, but there were like 80 things that I didn't even know or concepts. I had no idea that even existed. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And for yeah. you kids listening in the audience who one day dream of being a musical theater composer and going into the studio, find yourself a great sound engineer and keep them. Yeah, Andrew has been on every project of mine from the start. Every yeah, project he, of mine from the start. He's a genius and uh, like really cool and mellow and very easy to work with. Yet, yet still very honest about his feelings about things. He's able to to be honest about how he feels about the pro- where you are in the production process while still being a cool person about it and nice. And yeah, he's Andrew's great. I'll have to go to Seattle and, and visit him, take him and his wife. And does he have two kids now? Kid? He has two kids. They're all, yeah. all names start with a Andrew. Pizza, <laughs> and I can't remember the other one. Yeah. Take, take the whole family at the dinner or something. When they're all a, a, um, and, uh, so that's pan. Somewhere in there, I started working on a musical about Emmett Till. What? Uh, what? You say? It's a gorgeous musical. God, I was sitting, I was teaching my class, and I was sitting in my class when my students were doing some work, and I thought, I need a new musical to start work on. Um, but I want to do something big. I want to do something that's big, something that's going to make an impact, something that can be transformative. Uh, as a, as a classically trained musician, I'm not afraid of big subject matters. I mean, look at operas, right? They sure. deal with all sorts of stuff. And I thought, well, why don't you write an opera? I was like, I don't want to write an opera because who does them? And, and I won't get it performed, and I'll also write a musical. So what are you going to write a musical about? And, and for some reason, uh, Emmett Till flashed into my mind, and I thought, well, that's a very strange subject to write a musical about. Um, so you better do your research. So I started doing my research on that. And um, what I discovered uh, in, 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 in reading the story about Emmett was, was mainly about Mamie and his mother. Yeah. And, and when I got to it, – it wasn't that I didn't know that there was an open casket funeral and, and that Mamie was the reason that there was an open casket funeral. It just, for some reason, the story hadn't coalesced in me. And I thought, oh, my God, the story of a mother's love and, and, and drive, that's the story that needs to be musicalized. That's right. what the show is about. You found the heart of the story. I did. I did. So I, I thought, I'm going to write a musical about it. And um, once again, um, I wrote all of it myself. Because I couldn't find my book writers who would connect with it. And, of course, people always wig out. And I, uh, they don't always wig out. But it's, it's not unusual. It's like, what are you writing a musical about Emmett Till? Um, isn't that kind of a hard musical to say? And, and some people think it's, you know, that I'm being very disrespectful because they don't – they think a musical is all about singing and dancing and, you know. And it's 
not. I mean, there's a way to treat the subject matter very respectfully. And um, um, we went through a couple of incarnations on it, and I brought DC in to help me with it because I was getting um, I was getting stuff that I just couldn't didn't know how to manage as a book as a book writer. Right. And uh, um, we submitted it to the New York Musical Festival, and um, it, and it got in. And we had one of the one of the spots. We had five or six performances at Nymph in 2019. The last year Nymph was around, won yeah, eleven afraid. awards there. I'm afraid. Well, I'm, no, that's um, that is so amazing. I was just going to say, I'm afraid that Nymph is is gone. shot down. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. yeah, we went out of business. Yeah, um, but uh, I'll tell you one of the most exciting experiences I had was opening of Nymph uh, was opening performance. Because DC and I had no idea what we had. You guys were so nervous. It was so fun because oh. David and I went and saw it, of course. And 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 Sean, we we're sitting up there in the boxes, and at the end, the entire audience leapt to its feet. It was incredible. Deservedly so. Thank you very much. It was just amazing, and um, uh, we got some interest from a couple of Broadway producers. Uh, then we ran into COVID and that fell aside. Um, we got uh, hit up by a producer, um, out in, uh, uh, Jim, uh, oh God, um, if he hears this, he's going to kill me for forgetting his last name out at American theater group in South Orange. who wanted to do a, uh, a production of it. And, um, the, uh, and so they did in, <clears throat> The first part of 2020, oh, it was in February of 2020, they did a production out in, in, in South Orange of it. And, uh, and is that just, the, the, it's New Jersey, right? right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, the uh, uh, production went really well. We did some changes to the, to the, um, to the show, um, changed the ending around. The, the, the ending has since changed from that production. Uh, as we as we're finding as we're finding the voice of the show and 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 where it needs to go, um, and uh, uh, and then this is really cool. And I, I think I can talk about this. I'm 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 I, I think I can. I'll find out if I can't. Um, there was a producer in London who um, just randomly was thinking. I've always wanted to do a show about Emmett Till. And um, he said, I wonder if there are any, you know, maybe I should hire somebody to write a show. I wonder if there are any existing musicals about Emmett Till. Well, um, this was after Nymph. Uh, We got a rave in the New York Times, by the way. All the the reviewers, except for one, was a rave. One one reviewer said, I don't think people understand what will understand this. It's like, okay, fine, whatever. Um, And, uh, um, but all the rest were just raves. I mean, these are these are reviews that I'm, you know, going to put on a petty point on a pillow and keep on my couch. Um, and uh, um, he did a Google search and he put in the words Emmett Till musical. Our musical showed up on the entire first page of Google. He told us this while we were in a video in the Zoom chat, and I immediately, what did I do? I went to Google while he was talking, telling us about it, and I put in Emmett Till Musical, and I was like, oh, my God, DC, look at this. <laughs> we're, on the, we're on the Google. 
You're on the Google. I'm on the Google. <laughs> that's that's so, that's great. I love so that. So the idea is that the producer wants to produce it. Um, I think that's probably all I should say in London. We're just waiting to hear back. Uh, he, he's 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 looking for a director at the moment. I, I always love a trip to London. I'll go. I'll go there and see. I, you girl, you better. I I I, uh, I won't tell the rest of the story, but you know what's in London, right? So we're hoping that uh, we're hoping that that happens because um, as I was telling, um, I'm going to drop a name right now. Steve Bartek. Steve Bartek is Danny Elfman's orchestrator. Yeah, I know Steve, and and I had the great pleasure yesterday of introducing Aaron to Steve. Wow. Isn't it nice of me? Wow, right? That's really like, cool. And he deserves it. Aaron, he deserves it, exactly. I Aaron is Aaron. a superstar. I talked to Aaron earlier in the day and I said, oh, by the way, would you like me to introduce you to Steve Bartek? He says, Can you do that? I said, Oh, yeah, I can. Of course I can. I'll be happy to do that. So he says, Yeah. So I was telling Steve yesterday, uh, I said, I feel like my nose is pressed up against the glass ceiling at this point. I just want to break through. You know, but there are two reasons why. There are two reasons why, and I'm very clear about this. I am. I have two careers at least. I, I'm a. I'm a. a on, I'm now on staff at the Chicago Association of Realtors. Did you know this? That they brought me on staff. Yeah. I'm the on-staff curriculum editor and the and the <laughs> I'm writers. I'm editing. I'm fine, which is like composing in a lot of ways. People, you know, people bring me their works and I put in the commas and put in the Oxford commas and be very snobbish about it. Uh, <laughs> Because I believe in the Oxford comma, and um, you post about it a lot on Facebook. <laughs> I do, I do. So I'm like, I'm a real pig about it. Pig, use the Oxford comma. Um, the uh, uh, what was I going to say? I forgot. I got stuck on Oxford comma. Um, you were talking. We we're talking about <laughs> Phil, and you were talking about how you introduced Steve Bartek to Aaron. Oh yeah. So. Um, so yeah, that happened, and there was a, there was a point to something in there, and I can't remember what it is. So it's probably a lie or unimportant. Um, so I uh, 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 so Till is waiting to hear on Till. Um, during all this period, um, I was also uh, given the idea uh, uh, of um, wouldn't it be? <laughs> here was how it was pitched to me. Um, wouldn't it be funny if two Mormon missionaries knocked on Ethel Merman's door and you could call it the book of Merman? Yeah. That was, that was the pitch. And then the question, do you think there's a story there? And I said, I don't know. Let me think about it. So once again, it went on the back burner. Three days later, I finally figured out what the, what the plot line was. So I wrote this show. Now I hate parody. I have to tell you, I hate parody. Uh, and uh, um, parodies are like puns. Um, but to me, but I thought, you know what? There's nothing wrong with with doing riffs on things. Um, and um, if I write a show called The Book of Merman, we're going to look at Merman's canon and all the influences in it, her musical canon and all the influences in it, and uh, write songs that could be as if. And um, <laughs> so I wrote The Book of Merman about two Mormon missionaries who knock on Ethel Merman's door and hilarity ensues. It's a great show. It's a great show. It's it is. It's and it's it. You don't. I mean, it's one of those. It's one of those shows that say you can't think about it too much. <laughs> well, it, yeah, but yeah, it, was she alive or not? Is she? How old is she? It's like, don't think about it. 
It's clever that you say that's a clever way to write, though, because that's a lot harder to write than one would expect because you can't think about the fact that you're not making them think about it. Yeah. You know, there's there's like almost like meta, if you will, levels within that philosophy. Yeah, I mean, what's, you know, and what's Merman's want? Merman's want for the whole show, she wants to get to the motor vehicle, uh, division of motor vehicle, so she can renew her driver's license. The That's DMV, what, I love that. The DMV, it's great. <laughs> that drives the show. And, you know, and uh, so she meets, and, and of course, the other thing that drives the show is that you discover that one, well, I won't tell you what, because this show has actually been licensed now. Oh, how many productions have you, have you guys done? Has, has that show had? Well, we had the, uh, we had one in D.C., a small theater company. Then the Pittsburgh Light Opera did it, and then COVID happened. Ah. Uh, the next production that's coming up is um, in Winter Garden, Winter Park, Florida. Winter Park, I think that's what it is. That's coming up soon. Cool. The fall. And, um, yeah, it's got some legs to it. It's three, three people. Once again, orchestrations by Aaron Benham. I use Aaron a lot. We love Aaron. And um, I'd use Aaron forever if I could. Uh, the amazing Carly Sakaloff, the yeah. one with a thousand voices, so incredible. And there, there are two things that we're really clear on in casting Merman. Number one, we didn't want an Ethel Merman impersonator. Mm-hmm. Okay, we just wanted her to be Ethel Merman. Number two, we didn't want a drag queen. Sorry, sorry, drag queens. I did. I was approached by somebody said, "Will you allow this to be done in drag?" I said, "No," because it's not about drag. Right. It's not the way we wrote it. Um, and uh, um, I produced it off-Broadway. Um, it ran for five months. Uh, and again, I learned the lesson that, that one learns in producing, which is you lose money when you produce. <laughs> it's not the goal. <laughs> yes. And you sorry. spend a lot of money, too, to produce. You spend a lot of money to lose money. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and I, and I kind of got my sea legs on that. I learned a lot about uh, producing uh, the hard way. And that's, that's, that's sort of the story of my life. I learned by making mistakes. Um, one of the fun, funnier conversations I had with, um, I pitched a producer on the show, hoping to get his financial backing or his help with it. And um, he said, uh, I don't think I have any fear of this. He's uh, considering where he is right now. He said, you know, you know, you know, you're going to get sued, aren't you? And I said, I am. I said, who's going to sue me? He goes, well, Scott Rudin's going to sue you, who I just drain dropped. And and it was like, well, you know, um, he says, because, Leo, you're a really good parodist. You know, the songs sound so close to the originals, but you know by listening to them that they're not. And the, the two songs that I was most concerned about were um, my take on some people or the, the, the parody on some people and everything's coming up roses. All right. So um, those are the two that I was most concerned about as maybe crossing the line um, because we were not given permission to write parody lyrics to the existing songs. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story. Um, but um, I just decided, Leo, you're a good enough writer. You can write your own something, uh, you know, uh, uh, something's coming up roses. You can, you can, you can write your own some people, and I did, and I wrote them very successfully. I think, yeah, my own versions, my own, my own takes on that moment in the shows. Um, 
And uh, but we ran for five months. Uh, we got some good reviews. We got most, made mostly good reviews. The audiences really liked it. Unfortunately, with Off Broadway, you've got to have some staying power. We just didn't have enough in the bank to keep it going long enough till it started taking off. It's a very slow claim to take off. Definitely. Um, and uh, um, but five months off Broadway, not bad. That's actually a, a really good track record for Off Broadway with with like a whole new concept like that. I mean, the things that are running for a long time are like um, The Office, The Musical, or Friends, The Musical, or The Marvelous Wonder, something like that. Uh, and yeah, and that's actually a really, really something to be proud of. And uh, um, and we got licensed, and we're having other productions being done around the country, and people really enjoy it. Um, and uh, uh, that makes me happy. And then um, you came to me and said, um, I want to write... Um, I want to write a musical about um, a gay political figure uh, in the closet. Um, and it want, and <laughs> I, can't believe, I can't believe Sean Chandler told me this. Um, and you looked at me and you said, it has, to be a, it has to be a rock musical. You can't write anything but a rock musical. And it's like, I, I was thinking, is Sean telling me what to do? No. You were so nice when you were buying me food, and now you're being all bossy. I was buying you food at the time. <laughs> I think we were at Ann, Ann Sather's, or as a friend of mine called it, Ann Slather's. I think, I think the only reason why you said yes is because you had already, you know, pounded a cinnamon roll and a half. <laughs> I was on the downside of a sugar coma. Right. Um, okay. And, uh, um, but I, but I had a blast doing it because one of the things I, had, I mean, I'm a classically trained musician. I can't play the piano. What do I know from one four five or one five four? I don't know those chord progressions. I mean, I have an okay ear, but it's not it's not really all that well trained. You didn't know. Now I you didn't do. Know. Now, now I and so I, I just I did. I went to the Google quick Batman to the Google, <laughs> and um, uh, I uh, looked up rock progressions, rock chord progressions, and I did my own take. I think I did a damn fine job on these songs, you know. I they're they're great and they're varied and yet they all have the same overall patina of being like of being a rock score. Even like the 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 soft slower ones are have a very modern ballady kind of feel to it. It's it's I I I love the music you wrote. I, thank you very much. I love it too. I, I really do. It, it's, it, you know, I'm getting joy out of my scores these days. I really am, which is good. Because really terrific. Um, and then so, uh, and running was, um, running was really an exercise in um, taking a language and being able to stamp it with my own um with my own, with my own uh, language. voice, voice, my own voice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went back in uh, to Penn and revised a couple of songs, which I really didn't like from the first draft around. And um, I'm very happy with what's come out of them because it, it, it sort of. I'm, I, I keep pushing myself. I keep pushing myself to another level. Good, you know. Because uh, I always want to be growing as a writer, and you now, all, and you know what's great is that you hire not you you don't hire you work with people, uh, you co-write with people who push you as well. 
Mm-hmm. And that's that that is one of the big things that helps people oh my God. grow. And this, I'm yeah. This song um that I just finished the revision for DC, I wrote this really great the first song was like <laughs> talking about you have to learn how to you have to you have to educate your co writers, your book writers about how to talk about music. And you have to know as a composer you gotta ask a lot of questions. Well, what do you mean when you say that? Because DC, about this one song, kept saying, it, it's, it, the tempo seems slow. And I thought, well, that's ludicrous. Um, if it goes any faster, it's, it's going to sound stupid. And this went for years. The tempo seems slow. <laughs> well, I finally, this, uh, a, a couple months ago, I, 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 I sent him a message saying, I want to rewrite this song because I don't like it. I don't think it works. Um, and he said, well, I've always said that. I said, you've never said that. He said, no, I told you that the tempo was slow. I said, well, you told me the tempo was slow. You didn't say that the problem was that the song was a ballad and it shouldn't be a ballad. That's different to me. That means something. Yeah. The tempo is how fast the music unfolds. Right. So um, the music, <laughs> the song is in three parts. It's their letters, obviously, two letters from the jail and one letter from outside the jail. Um, and the first letter from inside the jail is about a blowjob. <laughs> Which I'm going to spell it. <laughs> oh, my face is turning so red with laughter. I wrote a ballad about a blowjob. And, um. Why not? The, <laughs> the, uh, um, so the second, uh, setting of it, was more upbeat and <laughs> was a happy blowjob. And we're walking through the park and we're having sex in the park and all this other sort of stuff. Obviously the guy in jail is very sexually frustrated is, is, is trying to vent it through the letters. And I sent that very proudly off the DC and he said, no, he said, it needs to be more raunchy. It needs to be more sex. I said, what? Like brown chicken, brown cow, brown chicken, brown cow. And he said, yeah, like that. And, and I got, and I don't get angry anymore. I just get adamant. <laughs> and I said, I will not write some some cliche song that all of a sudden, yeah, we're talking about sex and having a good time. Oh, baby, baby, baby. And um, he said, well, try. <laughs> <laughs> God damn you. So I went back to it, and uh, um, I was actually at the gym working out, and they, and they were playing their – their top 40 or whatever that they play in there. And I heard it. I heard a, a, a song that I, I've heard a gazillion times, but I finally heard what was going on in the accompaniment. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Let me go back and play with that. So I came back and play with that. And, and I, I wrote the third version of the song, which was very simple and very uh, sexual and very Leo. And um, I thought, if he doesn't like this, then we've got problems. And he said, this is exactly what I was talking about. And I actually said to him, Sean, and one day I will say the same to you. Thank you for pushing me. Actually, I said, thank you for pushing me into brilliance. <laughs> but that's ego talking. Um, but I'm, really- I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait for mine. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm re- remembering that forever. I really love this song. It's really, it's really nice. And I can hardly wait to hear Aaron orchestrate it. And I can hardly wait to hear Tommy, Tommy Thurston sing it. Tommy and Tommy and Ryan. Um, so, uh, 
so yeah, that's let's see. I think that. Oh, um, do we still have time? We we do have time. We've got about fifteen minutes or so left. And all right. the great part about it is that you pretty much answered all of my questions except one while talking about your career. So keep going. Okay, because I want to talk because um, with the pandemic, um, I also ended up. Um, being subjected to a divorce, I'm being divorced. Um, and I have no problem mentioning that online. I'm, I'm so sorry. Well, thank you very much. I, I'm being divorced um, and um, I'm in a pandemic and I'm totally isolated. And it's like, well, what's Leo going to do now? Well, I don't have any new shows to start working on. And um, I don't know where my existing shows are. I'm kind of waiting for stuff. Though the pen, the pen thing didn't occur to me until just about a month ago. The pen uh, recording session. Um, so I'm going to start writing uh, some more concert music, instrumental music. And I haven't written anything for French horn ever in my life. I was a professional horn player, uh, not, even as a part, not even as part of an orchestral thing. So um, I decided I would start writing some horn music. And it turns out there was a horn quartet that a friend of mine formed here called the Rona Quartet, um, which is... Uh, um, was formed in the pandemic and they were all socially distancing while they were practicing. And I said, I'll write a quartet for them. So I wrote a quartet, a horn quartet. I wrote a quart, I wrote a trio for horn, a baritone voice and piano um, that I talked to my friend, Zach Smith, who's the uh, auxiliary horn of the Pittsburgh symphony uh, into uh, committing to play when we can get a performance of it, which I think will probably be in April of next year. Um, and then um, the Rona Quartet was so enthusiastic about the, my, my quartet called the Three Bagatelles that they said, we're going to submit this to the International Horn Society. And it got accepted. So the world premiere is going to happen in August during the International Horn Society. And the IHS is still doing everything uh, distance and video. So last Sunday, a week ago Sunday, I went out to the recording session that they did where they recorded, video recorded, my uh, uh, horn quartet. And um, one of the things the quartet had told me was they said, you know, when this gets heard, people are going to want more horn music from you, so you better get ready for it. They're going to want this quartet, and they're going to want other things. It's like, dudes, I've heard this before, but sure, I'm all, I'm all on board. Right. So I decided to write, um, I decided... I better write some more horn music because I can't, just can't have a trio and a quartet in my repertoire. So I decided to write solo horn music. And I think this is a pretty brilliant idea. A solo horn and piano. And I'm writing a set of pieces called five encores. They're, each one is a bravura piece that's no more than three minutes that a, that a performer, a solo performer can use as an encore. It's like, what brilliant marketing is that? It's like buying, it's like buying the, it's like buying the, the pieces of chicken and packages. You, you have a package of legs. You have a package of thighs over here. You have a package of breasts over here. You can't get a whole fucking chicken. You can only buy the pieces. But after you buy all the pieces, you get a whole chicken. <laughs> it's great marketing. So I'm, I'm, Indeed I'm, it is. I'm, yeah. I'm putting together a, a, a set of, of encores. They recorded this thing on Sunday, and when they were done, I found myself standing, looking out the glass front door of the building we were in. And this is a weird realization to have, considering who I am and what I've done. But I, the, 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 it, finally, it finally occurred to me, I'm a, I'm a real composer. I'm, you know, I've got this huge catalog of work, immense. 
And it took me until I'm 63. It took me until a week, a week and a half ago to realize I'm a, I'm a legitimate composer. I know what I'm doing, you know, and Isn't that, that was, crazy. It's, it's so crazy, crazy that our minds, I mean, we're, which uh, we're so busy, you know, solving the next writing issue or composing right. issue that we don't really step back and see, and see the broader picture. It's like doing your resume. Like I do all that. <laughs> Well, and it's, and it's, 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 this is going to sound really arrogant and it kind of is, but you know, the doctors can say they're really good and lawyers can say they're really good. Why can't a composer say, or, or a book writer say that they're really good? They're really fun. You have to be your own best fan first. You have to believe yeah. in yourself first. Cause if you don't, cause that's, what's going to keep you going when nobody's paying attention to you. And I've been waiting for years for people to say it's okay. You know, when I when my musical aptitude started showing itself in junior high and high school, I was told by by the people important in my life, my band directors and my choir directors, this like Schwartz, you got to put a lid on it because you're alienating people. And all I was doing was talking about how amazing music was and how excited I was about doing it, how good I was at doing it. And it's like, well, you can't, you're 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 uh, um, you're you're separating yourself from your your peers. So keep a, keep a tap on it. So I've been waiting for years for people to tell me it's okay, that I'm okay, that I'm good. And I finally, it finally has dawned on me, you know what? It's time for the world to catch up to me because I'm here. You know, I'm not worried anymore about whether or not people are going to like my work. All right. It's just mm-hmm. the world needs to catch up to me. I'm not going to stop. And boy, howdy, I tell you that from that realization, I've just been going, I mean, I was, I was a crazy worker to begin with anyway. You know, I'm just, I just feel totally unfettered, totally unfettered. We're having a concert of my concert music devoted solely to me in April here in town. Um, I'm going to have a piece that I wrote over in the pandemic. For, I wrote a string quartet. In the pandemic, I wrote a string quartet. I wrote a piece for soprano and seven instruments. I wrote a French horn quartet. I wrote a horn trio. And, and uh, I started the, the encores. I'm, I'm, I haven't finished them yet. I wrote it. And... So great. It's crazy. Oh, so great. No, no, it's, it's crazy. It's great. You know, I've always said that if I didn't do all the things people who, by the way, a lot of these people who've said that, that told me this, I think limit themselves within their own life. But if I didn't do all the things that people told me I couldn't do, oh, I, yes. I wouldn't have accomplished 95% of what I've done. It's just, you know, every, people don't, they don't get it. They don't understand. Oh. Um, they, you know, everything is so connected to, oh, are you getting a paycheck for that? Or, you know, they don't, I mean, it's, it's all just a mentality of that's, that's, that's not artistic. Sean, have you heard this yet? So you tell people you have a podcast and they go, oh, you mean like Smelly Cat? <laughs> Smelly Cat, a podcast? A if I would love that. It was a video. It was it was it was a Friends episode. Oh no! I I I know I oh. know Smelly Cat. I it I can. Podcast, no. it was like I, I could probably sing it for you right now. I won't though. I've got a uh, and I actually within the last two weeks I, I found out that um, an orchestral work that I had written um, is going to be premiered in Texas in the northern sub. It's a chamber work uh, for chamber orchestra. Uh, Sinfonia Contratante on a theme of Bernstein. I took, um, I was commissioned, was no, no money exchanged hands. No, no animals were hurt in the composing of this piece. Um, 
but uh, I was commissioned to write a, a piece for the Washington, D.C. Chamber Orchestra, which went defunct shortly after the commission happened. But I thought, I've always wanted to write a piece of music based on Bernstein's Almighty Father from Mass. It's a beautiful hymn. It's just a gorgeous hymn. And um, so I wrote the Sinfonia Contratante. I, I, I wrote this uh, piece that is basically a fantasia on this wonderful hymn that Bernstein wrote. Um, and uh, it's about a 20-minute piece, and it's going to be premiered uh, in the 22-23 season. Very cool. Congratulations. So things are really, and, and it's really funny because my concert music has just kind of taken a huge uptick all of a sudden while I'm waiting for things to happen in London and other places. Good, good for you. Some, there's somebody, there are multitudes of people and organizations that are out there that need that kind of music. Yeah. You know, you can't continue to play all the same stuff. I mean, you can if you want to, but you know, let's, let's change it up. Let's make it original. Let's, let's do something that's, interested that's that's written now possibly you know touching on uh, a, a previous theme or a previous uh storyline but is of a new voice yeah that's i mean that's i would i would think that were i um i mean i i actually can read music and i can play the baritone but um i don't listen to a lot of classical music but sometimes i'll be like okay well this this is new and it sounds older, but it sounds newer at the same time, and it's it's fresh and it's original, and I like that. So this is yeah no this is uh, uh this is who I am. I mean I I I, I want to I don't know what was your next what was your question that I haven't answered. Well, first let's let's take a few minutes to talk about we the people. Oh yeah, we got to talk about we the people. I'm sorry, and, I and, maybe and this, then we'll wrap up. I've got about maybe this is where we sell knives. Okay. <laughs> Where we sell knives? Have you heard about Jeebus? Um, we're gonna we're gonna sell magazines. <laughs> <laughs> you call this literature? <laughs> okay, we the people. I remember you approached me with the idea. Probably what about? Oh, is that my idea? <laughs> yes, it was. We the people is a song. Oh, that's right. Because I was so angry. Musical, and it's about the. Um, the Trump presidency, the before, the during the election, and what was stuff that was occurring afterwards. And a song cycle is a that it's basically what it, I mean. It's it's a multitude of songs that hopefully arc with one sort of theme from one point to another. And each song is typically its own universe, if you will. And, and so, so I remember writing it and I was like, I learned so much writing that musical because a lot of the book writing stuff is not seen or heard. It's a lot of connecting the, as you call it, the connective tissue yeah. to, and making it thematic. You have to have themes within each song and arcs within each song that all lend themselves to the full arc. So anyways, it was, I, I learned an incredible amount working with you on that. Well, good, and so did I. I mean, the, the thing about We the People, it was, I, I, felt, I felt obligated as an artist to, to speak out. Right. Um, because that's one of the things that artists do really well. We, have, we take our art and we, we, we become political. I'm sorry, we become political. I'm to unleash the writers, I believe is what I said. Uh, un, yeah, unleash the writers, exactly. And um, the... Uh, the experience of writing that show 
oh my God, it was just, it's, it's like, can we write about this? Can we do this? Can we say this? Can we put it, can we frame it in this fashion? Um, and then of course, um, the great thing for, for the great thing for the audience to know, it's a six character, six actor show with 42 characters. I think I counted that it was like 44 different, uh, 44 different characters. If, if it was, yeah, I mean, main characters. And if they weren't, if the actors weren't portraying like a main or a supporting character that was featured in the show, oftentimes they were singing. Yes. They were singing enhancement or backup or what have you. And, and our actors were pretty terrific. Yeah. And I, and I knew from the start, and, and this is the sad thing, I knew from the start that we were going to pigeonhole ourselves. Is, is that because that, that is a show that lives in a period of time, and I don't know if it could survive outside of that. You know, it's, 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 I don't, I, I, maybe I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I'd love to be proven wrong because if somebody could want to take We the People and do a retrospective on it, that would be great. But I, I wonder, I, I've always been concerned that it's just too topical. You know, it's too topical. Yeah, it's a total firebrand, if you will, of of a piece. And I don't know if I'm using that correctly, but um, yeah, I I agree. And um, it was it was difficult because I remember you came to me with the idea as I was as my husband David and I were getting on a plane to fly over to London and have some time over in Europe. And so I'm over in like. Cologne, Germany, answering questions about the election in America, and because <laughs> because each each song really had to be flushed out, and its connection had to be made to the actual arc of the story. And I just remember pages and pages of research that I would do and send to you. <laughs> like, yeah. Hopefully, this is enough for a song. But yeah, it was. It, it, it I, was think, I think one of my favorite songs in that show is "What Do You Say." Yes. Um, yeah. That's actually one of my favorite songs. It's, it's, it's the mother trying to explain the results of the election to her two children the following morning. Mm-hmm. And, it's and so touching. And do you remember sort of the, the, the help that we got with that song? No, tell me. I, I, I had asked. Um, oh, yes. My, okay, tell me. Yeah, yes. yes I had asked my sister because my sister is a mother of two kids. She's a Democrat. She lives in a very, very highly heavily Republican area of the United States. She lives in Alabama. And uh, I said, just to just do Leo and myself a favor and write a page of how do you feel about that? What happened and how did you feel? And I think two or three times she's like, what do I say to my child when this is occurring? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I, I love that. I love that. It's so beautiful. Um, it, please, if anybody go to, uh, uh, the We The People uh, Facebook page, I'm pretty sure. And I think you have it in your SoundCloud? In my SoundCloud, yeah. Right, and and listen to some of those songs. They're incredible. And so so many different styles varied. We have like four senior citizens on a I cruise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. And by the way, Elizabeth did a great jo- uh, job on that song. She really oh, did. She did. Yeah, she did. I mean, the whole... The whole cast of Renfro. Yeah. Um, the other song that I really like, I mean, there, there, there are songs that are, that there are a, a number of songs that I really like in the show, but the other song that I really kind of like, because um, it's, it's kind of a show off. It's not necessarily the most originally originated song, 
but I, I've always wanted to do a riff on another hundred people from company. Um, Cause I just love that tune so much. That's a great song. It is. And, beautiful. And, and some of the, some of the actresses in a, um, in Avita, when we get into a new theater, they would use that as their sound check, you know, on their mic checks. It was just like listening to Donna Marie sing Another Hundred People was just a revelation. Um, Donna Marie Elliott. Uh, no, that's not her name anymore. She got married. She just she just left after being the longest the longest uh, 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 cast member of, of Chicago. I'm totally blanking on her. Chicago and New York? Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm totally blanking on her last name. Uh, is it? It's not Vivino, is it? I just remember it's Donna Marie. Yeah, the, a lot of the people that are in Chicago are in for decades. Don't mess with me. I'm Donna Marie. Right. Um, and uh, it's it's the uh, um, I wake up every morning, which has that pattern to it. There's just those words. I wake up every morning. Yeah, which is just. It, it just chugs along, and, it, and it's reminiscence of another hundred people. Well, and it also has the um, sort of the overall miasma, if you will, of what we were all living angst. in, the mood, it the does. angst. Every day you wake up and it's like, well, and that's how it was the entire time. And then we've had an extended year of it because that anxiety transferred into the pandemic. But the line was always moving. It was like, what now? What now? What next? Yeah, it was crazy. We just don't think it could get that bad. Yeah, yeah, no. it's 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 a, it was it's such a nice musical. I I love it actually, and I I kind of have plans for it. So okay, well that's good to know. I like plans. I like plans. <laughs> um, okay, well we need to uh, wrap up, and I think you've answered. Like I said, you've answered pretty much all my questions that I sent to you in advance. Um, and just by talking, just by us having a conversation, that's wow. how I like this show to go. It was very very cool. Very so good. The last, we sort of answered this a little bit. Uh, the last questions I have are, how did the COVID-19 pandemic affect your composing career? Um, and It accelerated it. And, and good. And do you see any signs of a recovery within overall within the industry? Oh, yeah. You know, I, uh, um, <laughs> I mean, the, the big thing is the, is the, uh, is the online video streaming uh, performances and the video. I, I I'm going to be a naysayer, and, I, and I, I, I don't I don't think those will have a very long life. I think there's a I think there's a place for them, but I think the idea of live theater has been around for so long um, that it's really really important. I think for archival purposes, it's really important to get shows on tape mm-hmm. or on video. Sure, you know I agree. Um, Big proponent of that, you know. Yeah, I just I'm I'm just not. See, I come from a, a, the real estate industry. I've been a real estate agent for 25 years, and um, I've seen the ballyhoo on different things. You know, at one point with the advent of the, of the personal computer, the, the big talk was that was going to make real estate agents obsolete because real estate agents weren't going to be able to uh, manage a personal computer. That was actual. That was that was actually come out of the talking heads in the industry. Wow. So it's um, so I get I get you know, and I've, I've run across a lot of that, and I. And I, I have my doubts. I hope I'm proven wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just think that people want to be crammed into one of those small little Broadway seats, having paid five, six hundred dollars, 
sitting next to somebody who's wearing too much cologne, you know. And crinkling their water bottle. Crinkling their water bottle. And watching teenage angst on stage and being totally enthralled by it. I agree. I'm not a huge... I mean, I think that that the the like the Zoom shows and things like that. I think that those are keeping everybody in practice. So Absolutely, I'm, I'm oh, happy about that. Yeah, yeah. It's no, we didn't we didn't let theater die, and I knew that no. we wouldn't. And so that's I, I I agree with you on that. And I want to say what you were talking about before, where you said your your career like took off. I same here, I, and I think that the writers of the world saw a very, very different, um, they have a di- very, very different results of going through this. This has been one of the most successful years of my life as a writer. And, um, and it's, it's different because what we do is we, we, we've been sitting at home, you know, writing and putting stuff out. And uh, I suppose that it affects you if you're like a, on a writing team for a TV show or something like that. But that's how probably... I don't know, maybe 5% of the writers work anyways. Yeah. So it's, it's been like that, that wonderful, iconic episode of Twilight Zone where Burgess Meredith is, is locked in the vault. He likes to read and he's locked in the vault and the atomic bomb goes off and mm-hmm. he comes out and, and, and he has nothing but books available to him and nobody to interrupt his reading. And of course, the, the tragedy at the end of that, we don't, we won't talk about that. But it's like he so, he goes to the New York Public Library and takes all the books out, and he says, "Now I have all the time in the world to read." And it's, and it's like that's that's what I thought of when you know, so well, you all have to stay inside and not go anywhere. It's like, well, I have all the time in the world to write music now. Yeah, no excuse. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think a lot of writers really figured it out. I did a um, a series called Back to Places where I interviewed artists and artistic directors who are also artists, by the way, actors, teachers about their experience during COVID. And um, that was a big, a big uh, a, a theme of, of the show, which is that the writers actually have kind of really thrived. Yes. And we've, we figure out how to make something work. Uh, and, 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 um, I mean, I felt, I felt really bad for the actors and my husband's an actor and, and all that. And I'm glad they're, they're getting back to what they love doing and just, just, you know, everybody just go get vaccinated. Let me just like sidebar that because that's, what's making this occur. Um, but yeah, we've been been in the kitchen making tasty treats for the actors to have when, when, when it's time to serve dinner, right? Thank you. That's a great way. I'm putting it Put <laughs> in the kitchen, making tasty treats. Um, it's it's so true. So uh, I I totally agree with you on. I'll that. Never guess what I made for dinner, so I'll just have to show you. It's one of my favorite lines from the ribs. <laughs> is that in reference to writing, or is that? No, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, no it's, it's the chubby chaser who's, uh, who's who's gotten who's gotten all of his he's, he's brought all this food along for the chubby so he can lure them into his his, his room at the bathhouse. I've only I've only seen the um, the movie uh, the the film, and you know what? I know she's got an Oscar, but I thought Rita Moreno should have been nominated for an Oscar for that part. I I looked her up immediately. She's, she's, she's so amazing. Yeah. Oh my god! There's like a there's like a thousand things layered into that performance that are not even in the script. Picture a bitch. <laughs> Picture a tropical bitch. 
And my, my, one of my favorite parts is when she's ironing and then she <laughs> takes the iron and she presses it onto a grilled cheese on the ironing yes, board. Exactly. <laughs> That's so yeah. fucking great. Uh, one every, of these days I'll see the play. Every gay man who has his gay card does Googie Gomez impersonations. It's just one of those things. <laughs> it's, you know what? Even if it's just picture a tropical bitch, <laughs> I'll take it. And now I salute the Cole Porter. <laughs> Anyway, your audience doesn't need to hear this. Your audience. Oh, they, my audience loves stuff like this. Are you kidding? This is hilarious. Um, okay, so before we go, please give us your social media information so everyone can find you. I thought you were, I was going to ask you for my social security number. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I'm on Facebook, uh, Leo Schwartz. Um, my website is leoschwartz.com. Nobody had that URL. Imagine that. S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z for those who are are, are, are hampered in their spelling, leoschwartz.com. Um, I'm on SoundCloud under Leo Schwartz, and there there's a YouTube channel under Leo Schwartz. And if you go to the YouTube channel, I encourage you to go to the YouTube channel and see the videos, the video songs that we did of Till. Because while you were doing, uh, organizing all the running stuff, we did uh, some stuff for Till. And, and there, there's at least one of the songs in there that has been replaced of those video songs, but I really would like your audience to go to and see the 11 o'clock number from Till, I Want You Back, and the new ending of Till, which is Follow Me. Uh, I want you to hear the voice of Lena Wass, um, who's just amazing. She's a local Chicago singer, and she just brings it. Did did you had a, like a fundraiser? Was she the one who sang it there at that fun, particular fundraiser? No, okay. No, she hasn't. She hasn't sung this outside of the studio. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah I I encourage you to watch all of Leo's videos. Uh, listen to all of his music. You just you're just such an incredible, phenomenal writer, and you know, I mean. I wouldn't have. I, I remember when I first propositioned you with running when we were, you know, eating cinnamon rolls, and you said to me, "You said to me, you said, Sean, I I need to know that you are, uh, you are we're going to be doing this for a while. Most musicals take longer to write than plays, and although we 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 cranked out we the people pretty quickly." <laughs> Uh, but it was all I thought about. Um, and it's, this is going to be like a four or five year relationship. And I'm glad that I was like, Oh, oh okay. And, um, it turned into so much more. And it goes back to, um, something that my therapist said when I was starting to have some success in writing. And she said, if you focus on the relationships, if you prioritize the relationships and the friendships, and the partnerships you're going to make, you're, you're going to have a phenomenal time. Always put that first. And I think that, uh, that you and I, well, we just click anyways. Yeah. We're, I mean, so, so like it, it really, when we, when we got on this morning, you said it, it feels like for, and it has been forever. Yeah. Right. It has been. It just, it's been like, and it's been like five, six months since we really kind of chatted about anything. And I know, you know, and, and, when we do chat, it's usually work related. That's the impetus, but it's, but we also just, I, you know, I was actually considering flying into, I miss going to Manhattan and having meals with you. I miss going to Chicago and having meals with you. Yeah. 
and I, I just, I mean, the idea of just flying in and hanging out in Hell's Kitchen and, and just going and having fried chicken or barbecue at the barbecue place, and the, or the, fr- the fried chicken place is gone now. Somebody else is there. Uh, yeah, Vir- you mean Virgil's? Vir- no, that Virgil's is the barbecue place. No, Which- the one on, it's the one on 10th Avenue that was at the corner. It had, we had fried chicken. We would go sit and oh, yeah. the yeah, that's. I think that's something owned by There's Justin Timberlake now, or something. But, but yeah, Virgil's is the barbecue place, yeah, which, which we ordered from yesterday. For t- oh, I'm so jelly. I'm so uh, totally, absolutely, totally. And you know, we're vaccinated now, so we could do things like that. So, so maybe, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should take a, a a long weekend in. I was looking at my schedule. Actually, about two weeks ago, I was looking at my schedule. Say, so how can I get into Manhattan for a little bit of time? Yeah, I've been I've been trying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's what it's turned into, and it's been super fun. And I was just gonna say before we go, the one time when we don't necessarily talk to each other too much is when we're in like when we're in tech and we're sitting there with the director running things and stuff. And um I think we we give each other a wide berth at that point because it's so intense. But it's still super, super fun when we're sitting there going back and forth, sending each other messages. Wait a minute. You give me a wide berth. That's you just you just let into a little secret. It's like I'm staying away from her. She's stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) Why is he sitting I used I used deodorant. Why is he sitting so far away? Yeah, exactly. And we'll send each other messages on like a messaging app or something like that. (laughs) Typically not having any, because by the time, if you're a writer, by the time you're actually in tech, you've rewritten the damn show 500 times anyway. So it's like, okay, I'm here to change one line. (laughs) Right. Or to add one note or something. And that's, that's the way it should be. That means that you've done your homework. So, well, Leo, you have been so amazing as my first, and if, if you really want to see how this show, is, show has grown, audience, go back to show number one to listen to me. And then the conversation we have here, it's just been, uh, it's, it's just such, such, um, it's just so cool that you were there and now you're here, that you bookended this. It's not really that I'm Thank you so much. I'm, oh, I was so flattered when you asked. Oh, totally. I'm, I'm just super excited and uh, I can't wait for the world to see all of your work, not just your new stuff, but the the stuff that is older that will become new again. Um, just everyone, please go to his um, his uh, uh, social media and and look these things up. Just an an awesome, incredible, incredible writer performer, and I'm happy and thrilled that I have you in my life as a oh. as a writing partner. And a friend, and a sister as well. So, oh, the Oxford comma comes out again. <laughs> right. um, I, and I need to make one correction. Jim Vias is the name of the artistic director at, at American Theater Group in okay. South Orange, New Jersey. I, I totally blanked on his last name. I just looked it up on my phone. Oh, that's okay. I've Thank done you it. so much. I love you. I, I love and adore you. I miss you and David. I, I think of the Leaper a lot. <laughs> exactly. He's. He's still doing great. He's still he's making a short film. Not making well, he's acting in a short film pretty soon. So actually, I think more. I think of him more along the lines of what sort of white trash cooking is he making for Sean today? (laughs) I don't really have high standards in food, and he (laughs) likes it that way because I am always impressed with him. He's he's 
He is, as evidenced by any photo of me, he is an incredible cook. He is an incredible cook. Yes, he is. <laughs> Leo, you're a dynamite artist in person, and uh, I, I miss you. I love you, and I'm glad that things are going to start flipping back to normal. Um, and uh, I want to thank you again for being the first and the 100th show Ooh. guest. You've been, you've been great. Thank you, Leo. Thank you, dear. I love you. Well, folks, the 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. Once again, a big thanks to composer Leo Schwartz, a dynamite artist and person whom I admire hugely. I'm so honored to have him as my guest on the first and 100th show. You can find more episodes of Your Program Is Your Ticket on the Broadway Podcast Network, who has honored me with a place on their incredible theater podcast platform. Broadway Podcast Network is all about creating an engaging, immersive, user-friendly experience where theater stories of all kinds can be easily found, shared, and enjoyed. Please visit them on my landing page at bpn.fm slash ypiyt. Again, that's bpn.fm slash ypiyt. Broadway Podcast Network also has an app which you can and should download wherever you get your apps. Your Program Is Your Ticket is also on Apple Podcasts at Your Program Is Your Ticket. I'm on Facebook at Facebook.com, Your Program Is Your Ticket, Twitter at Program Ticket, Instagram at Your Program Is Your Ticket, YouTube at Your Program Is Your Ticket, iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Pocket Casts, Deezer, TuneIn, Listen Notes, and the UK-based theater platform, Thespi. FYI, I appreciate all good ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. Folks, take a little time to visit theater websites and see what they have to offer as we transition through and out of this pandemic. Watch their content, give them all great ratings and reviews, and most importantly, donate, donate, donate. They're all coming back, and it's the quickest way you can help them. Also, don't forget to get vaccinated. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, theater is for everyone. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.